Welcome back to the Shema Podcast. I have an exciting episode in store for you. Rabbi Cohen is in the house. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. There's a reason why this particular subject I want to discuss why I felt it was so important. And it's the subject of the idea of our soul, our sojourn here, the idea that there is a Satan. Really, when you talk about these things, they're very similar terminology to what the Christian world uses. They say Satan and hell and heaven, all these concepts. And I know what happened for me growing up in a very secular environment where my only exposure to anything around Judaism was in a reform world. And my parents experienced the same. My mother grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. My father grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Are for any people from Louisiana listening, Nolans. And what their rabbis told them, their reform rabbis, was that we only live on in the memory of others. And of course, this has created a great challenge for me and great pain because a very central concept of what Torah is telling us and what our life is about here was stolen from them. And then I have the, the, the struggle now of trying to convince them to have a Jewish burial as a result. And I remember being at a funeral for my uncle and the reform rabbi said, we don't know what happens when we die. The Torah doesn't discuss that. What matters is how we live our life. And that aspect is true. What matters is how we live our life. But there is a much bigger picture that we need to understand. And I've seen many of us who grew up in a very secular type environment when we would be learning from like Rabbi Yokoff will be in a class and these concepts came up. What was happening, since it was the first time they heard of these concepts through a rabbi, and the rest of their life they heard these concepts from the Christians that they were surrounded by, they were adapting the same definitional terms that they learned from the Christians, which are very, very different. You know, in the Christian world, they believe that there is a Satan and that he is an opposing force to God, and they are at battle with one another to take the souls of mankind. And we know that God is the only power, that everything in this realm, in the spiritual realm, he is continually creating and maintaining them. Our existence is constantly coming anew in every moment based off his will. So this idea of an opposing power is heretical. And I thought it was very important to bring the perfect rabbi on to discuss this subject so we have greater clarity of what this means and and the importance of understanding it because understanding it is what will guide our actions you know like that reform rabbi said what matters is how we live our life in this world and he is right however to understand these bigger things of what's happening in the spiritual realm will help guide us on how to live our life right So I'm very grateful that Rabbi Cohen came back in town from Israel and I got him and he made the time to teach us about this very important subject. So Rabbi Cohen, 
Welcome to the Schmall Podcast. I appreciate you coming on and teaching us on these very important concepts. Thank you. Good to be here. So explain to us, what is the concept of the Satan? The first point that you brought was very important to differentiate between our beliefs, the beliefs in Judaism, Christianity. It's an absolute fact that God is the all-encompassing power of the universe. And to intimate some kind of idea that there's a devil or a Satan that's at war with him, obviously that implies that there's two forces that are at war. So that we would call instantly a thought of idolatry. To have that kind of belief is an idolatrous thought. So then, But then how do we deal with this force we call Satan or that's passed down? And we do have in our tradition this angelic force, which doesn't seem to be, you know, going in the way that that God wants. So you have to go back to the Garden of Eden to begin to understand. Actually, let's, let's, let's go back to actually even before that, in terms of the will of creation. When God willed that there should be a creation, of course, that's very important. He wanted, he made a creation in order to bestow to another. He wanted to bestow pleasure to another. So to take that idea and you want to bestow the ultimate pleasure, and the ultimate pleasure, of course, is God. But the main ingredient to make the ultimate bestowal of pleasure, where God is bestowing abundance and blessing and light and enlightenment and knowledge, there has to be free will. Because if it's free, that God just instantly makes a creation that he bestows good to, and therefore it's no choice, then how good is that appreciation? How great is the, the the creation takes it for granted or you're living in the light all the time. And then there's no what we call self-earning. As anybody knows, if anybody's been in a job or worked for a living and done something or done a project, finished a project when they did that, so there was a sense of accomplishment that they made effort and they achieved. That came from the self as opposed to, let's say, a kid who always gets his $4,000 a month allowance, let's say, very you know, lucrative allowance for a teenage kid. So, and he just has it coming, and it's, it's, it's a sense of entitlement, and it's always coming no matter what. So how much are you really going to appreciate that? How much is that really going to create a bond between God and the creation? Now, don't forget, when God made the creation in order to bestow pleasure, he wants to give that creation the ultimate pleasure. And what is the ultimate pleasure? Himself. Because he is the source of all pleasures. Any pleasure that you can experience, he is way greater than that. He created those just as little worms on the hook, so to speak, to get us to understand the dynamics of taking in pleasure and taking in things. But going back, the idea here is it has to be earned. There has to be a free will where we have to choose. And then through our efforts in choosing, then we reach to the level where we can appreciate, fully appreciate, and enjoy our relationship with our Creator. So the element that helps us, the vehicle which which we have to work with is called free will. And with free will, there has to be a choice. There has to be, you choose God 
or he has to be, you choose something else other than God. So God had to make something else for it to be that equal, almost equal dynamic where the choice has to be a real choice. And then when you make that real choice, so then you have the fulfillment and the sense of satisfaction in making the right choices, as they always, the teachers always say, you're not making right choices. So to go, to step back now in the original thought of creation to, in order to bestow to another and the very important ingredient in, in the stew of creation is free will. Very important ingredient. But you have to have another. So that's where we go to a great question. And this is what bleeds to everything. Once we understand it in the root form of the concept, then we can understand evil. We can understand Satan. And we can understand everything else. So it starts with, if God is everything and he contains everything and there's nothing else outside of him, what could he possibly make that doesn't have anything to do with him? What can he possibly make that there can be something other than God? And it comes down to two words. And every single thing in creation is made up of this concept. And it's called will to receive, or in Hebrew, ratzon lekabel, which means will to receive. In other words, when God, when it went upon God's mind to make a creation in order to bestow, instantly had to be created something that is going to receive that. Let's look at it as a vessel. We look at it as a dynamic universal soul. But this universal soul, of course, after receiving such abundance, turned to God and said, I don't want it. And God goes, why? He says, because you don't give me the ability to earn this. I feel embarrassed. It's called the Namadik Sufa or the bread of shame. That's how it's classically called in Kabbalah, that the poor man cannot look into the face of the rich man who's giving him his bread every day because of the embarrassment, because he's not giving anything back. So this universal soul that was receiving all of this pleasure turns to God and says, I don't want it. And God goes, why? Because I want to give something back. So therefore God says, okay, I'll make a world. I will hide myself in that world. I will put you in there. And then through being in this world where I'm hidden, you will have the opportunity to choose to have all that beauty, wonderful pleasure that I have in store for you. So hence God made the world which is all made up in its bottom line, just like we look in physics that it's all made up of atoms. In the spiritual sense, we look at everything is made up of what's called will to receive. And now there's different levels of will to receive. So then we go now to the Garden of Eden. Now the Garden of Eden, there was Adam was commanded to not eat from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it was like external to him. It was outside there. And then comes the serpent, Here's our first creature on the scene, actually. It brings down in the Kabbalistic tradition that the Satan, the other powers that we'll talk about, rode the serpent like a camel. That's the language. In other words, he kind of like possessed the serpent, got into his brain. And the serpent, of course, started a conversation with Eve. And he says, okay, all these trees you cannot eat. And of course, that was a lie, first thing. And Eve responded and says, no, no, we can eat all the trees except for that one tree there we cannot eat. So now there's a lots of commentaries, the voluminous material written about this dialogue between Adam and Eve. I'm just going to cut it kind of short in a certain version how we can understand the theme of this subject. So the serpent basically says, well, this tree is outside there. You're not even tempted. 
And we all know that the whole goal of creation is for you to make effort in order to receive reward. So you choosing not to eat that tree, it's not really a big deal for you. It's like telling a guy who never had alcohol, who never had a taste for alcohol, you don't drink out, you're told not to drink alcohol. Gee, that's almost a no-brainer. How much reward, how much strain, how much struggle are you going to get from avoiding that alcohol if you were never touched, never drank, or maybe you tasted it and it tasted terrible to you? There's no effort there. Your choosing is really a bogus choosing. It's not a real choice. If you eat from it and you become addicted and then overcome the addiction, that's more in line with the goal of creation because then you have to overcome your addiction. So that made sense to Eve. So once she did that and they agreed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the evil, let's say the evil influence, which was before external, outside, it was out there, like a guy who never touched alcohol, walked by a bar, no problem. There's nothing pulling him into that bar. Here now, once she ingested from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, she became addicted to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And therefore, the evil elements or the seductive elements became within, inside. So therefore now, then it used to be outside, now the elements are within. So now just to take a step back, okay, because we have to understand the basic question that you were asking in the beginning. Who is Satan? First of all, to look at what Satan is, if you look at the exact translation of Satan in English, means prosecutor. So prosecutor. So we definitely say that this prosecutor is a force that was created for Hashem to seduce mankind from without. And now, after the eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, also from within. So it has to be, it's a strong force of seduction. There has to be free will. God wants to dance. Now, if you took a mannequin and danced in the middle of the ballroom with a mannequin, that's not much entertainment. That's not much of a dance. Well, for those watching, maybe. (laughs) Not even. It's more like, this is kind of ridiculous. Can we go home now? So, but you want a real partner to dance with. So... We're that partner. We have to make a choice. It has to be a choosing of our own to be with God in this dance. So God made a force of seduction, a possibility to choose another, to choose something else. He made specifically to do three functions. One is to first seduce, tempt. The second one is to then, his job is to go up to heaven And he stands before God and he says, so-and-so-and-so did such-and-such a thing. Naughty, naughty. And God, because he works for God. Bottom line, he works totally for God because God wants to give. This is like a sub-department of his, the, the department of din in Hebrew or judgment, because he wants his creation to be on the level. Has to be a sincere choosing. They have to be in the game. So then the second one, so the first one that he does is seduce. And then he goes up to heaven in the cosmic realm and he gets a conviction, guilty. And then the third part of his job is to go and execute whatever that judgment is. So all of those are in the realm of what we call this angelic force that works for God for the sake of being able to tempt man, but 
and then in order, in order, execute man in order to help that mankind should progress through, I guess, trial and error, let's hope. But the deepest understanding of this dynamic comes from the Holy Zohar. And the Holy Zohar gives this paradigm that the king is in the palace, and his son is in the palace, and the king is educating the prince in terms of the manners of running the state and running the affairs and how to be a nobleman. And of course, he has all of the tutors and educators and wise men and everything training the, the young prince. And the prince, is, of course, is now at an age of 17, 18, and he needs to test the prince. He invites into the palace a prostitute. And he sits to this prostitute. He says, I am hiring you to try every single thing you can to try to seduce my son. So, of course, he introduces to his son, Hi, son, we hired a new personal secretary for you. Isn't this great? (laughs) So we hired a new personal secretary. She'll handle all of your affairs from now on. And he's like, okay. And, of course, this woman's, her job is to what? She's hired by the king, is to try to seduce the son, okay, the prince. But you have to understand this, and this is very deep, that really the prostitute knows why she's there. She knows her job, and she makes every effort to do her job well. But within her psyche, she wants the prince to win. She wants the prince to overpower. That's the bottom line. So the Satan is serving Hashem. Totally serving God. He's got to do his job. That's my job. I have to provide something else other than God to lure you away from God as best as I can. And I've got a whole Talmud of different strategies to get you. So therefore, it's his job. I'm doing my job, but inside, he really wants you to beat him. They really do. And that's really important for us to know. So now to go back loud into the Garden of Eden just a little bit. Now that we understand this paradigm, so... For those of you who haven't heard this before, some people have, that Adam actually had a first wife in the Garden of Eden. Would you believe it? That's right. We're not allowed to say her whole name. We call her Lil. Some call her Jane Doe. Some in Hebrew, she's known as Plonit, which is Jane Doe. And she basically was Adam's first wife in the Garden of Eden. They had a little argument about when they have relations upon who's on top. And because there was this argument, this is how the... The text reads, of course, it's on a conceptual framework. We're going to understand it. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But this is how it reads in the Kabbalistic literature, that God, having seen this little argument, takes Lil away from Adam and throws her outside the Garden of Eden. And then God puts man to sleep and creates Eve. And that's why Adam says... This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It wasn't some angelic force. So here, you can picture this. Here's Lil, the ex-wife, who is now cast out of the Garden of Eden, looking in the Garden of Eden, seeing her ex-husband is now getting married. Now, how happy do you think that she is? Ooh, she is not happy. So now, she, her, is really charged 100% to try to bring man down. So this is an angelic force in the spiritual realm. And her job now is to take man down through his sexual appetite, 
through sexual means, her job is to seduce Adam in every way possible and all of the generations that we see. So my question, Rabbi, is that, is she doing that at the directive of Hashem? It sounds like way described it, that she's doing it out of personal spite. Okay, of course, Hashem knew exactly everything that's going to happen. And he did it this way, that she would be full force, not laid back. Because it could be that the secretary, the new personal secretary of the prince, she'll lay back. She won't do her job fully. So in order to have a full-fledged, raging fire to succeed at her job, he performed this this way to show us that it's real and she's very serious about doing this. Okay. He created a set of circumstances to motivate her to do her job well. Perfect. Said better. High motivation. Extra motivation points, right? There you go. To add, make sure there's a high level of motivation. So, sorry, Lil also has a husband. His name is Sam. In other words, this force that God created is an angelic force that works for God, has a male and female. So the husband of Lil is really, his name is Sam. I'm not allowed to say his whole name because we don't do that. Says Sam Kale. We'll say it like that. Kale is like the Almighty, like that usually you'll have in Michael. You know, you'll have the Aleph Lamed at the end of the word, which is like the, gives it the force. So anyways, Sam's job is to seduce man in other ways, like to not eat kosher or do other kinds of sins. So they both basically work dynamic in this dynamic, Sam and Lil, in different ways to work on the psyche of man. But not only are they without, outside, like where they were before the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but now they're within. So therefore, these drives are now much harder to overcome ever since that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But once again, it's all for the purpose of free will. It's all for the purpose of us to be, to see through it and choose right. We'd rather choose the principles of integrity according to the Torah, righteousness, and justice to do the right thing at the right time and what's right according to the rules and principles of the Torah. Rabbi, so when he's operating as a prosecutor, it's my understanding that the same laws in the earthly courts where there needs to be two witnesses you're so right. Now it goes to another point. You almost knew what I was going to... Yeah, because this is why this came up recently. Good. So this is it. This is really saves a person from unbelievable... Right. I had someone close to me say, I have not gotten sick. I never get sick. Okay, that's different. That's al-tiftach satan. We say, don't open your mouth to the satan. Right. Because And then the very following day, he got sick. And I said, don't ever say that out loud because you just... you Then you just basically said... You gave this a time, like, why is this guy never getting sick? And now you're getting judged. So it's almost as if you went, the person who bragged, boasted, went to the heavenly court with the Sutton and pronounced this thing. And then the Sutton was able to open up the file. I also read some uh, commentary on the Zohar that when the Jews were in the 49th level of defilement in Egypt, and Moses was saying, how can I redeem them? And... God was telling him the Jews were not committing Lashon Hurrah, meaning there was not a second witness. So even though they have gone to the 49th level defilement because there was not a second witness, he was free to redeem them because the court case could not be heard. Excellent. So that goes into something that the Baal Shem Tov has commented on 
there's a verse in the Torah that says, Hamas al Don't be a violent witness against your friend. So what does that mean, be a violent witness? First of all, it says one witness, right? Don't be a witness against, a bad witness against your friend. So he explains there something really amazing that if a person would say, Lashon Hara, which means gossip, something derogatory about a friend. See, the Sutton, he got his, he's already got the file. He already has the case. He has the evidence. He can't go in front of God in the heavenly court and, pro- and say anything and prosecute because he's only one. He needs somebody else. So if the person speaks bad about someone else, he, in the spiritual realm, is drawn up to heaven. He doesn't know it. He doesn't see it. He doesn't feel it. And then he becomes witness number two. For against that guy. And then not only that, is when you pull down judgment, usually they open up your file first. That's always the case. When you, if a person were to pull down judgment, they usually always look into that person's case first. Well, who are you to be pulling down judgment? So the idea here is, though, to look at now these forces of influence, okay? We'll call it negative influence. They work for God, they work for a holy purpose. They're doing a very holy work, very important. They have to give us the, the opportunity to actually make a full free will decision to choose God in the right way. I have a sort of follow-up question before you move further on this topic. But as you were talking about how it pulls out the file of the one that's providing testimony to the other Jew, it made me think like in, a, in an earthly court, when a witness wants to present to the court, don't they evaluate him to see whether or not he's a worthy witness or not. And if he's not a worthy witness, then his testimony is not even heard. So basically when someone speaks something about a fellow Jew, I'm just sort of putting some things together to see what your thoughts are. If someone says something about another Jew, then really quite likely you're not a viable witness. However, you just opened up your file and everything comes really back on you at that point. Yes. According to the rules of law. Yes. The idea here is don't say something bad about somebody because then you get schlepped up into the court. And when you're in the court, they look at you. So now getting back to the whole idea of free choice in the realm of evil, that interesting thing is you have to understand I spoke before is what is the element that God created? What is the substance of all of the universe that God made outside of himself? And that's called will to receive. Now, will to receive obviously has a huge spectrum. And if you want to call evil in its raw formula, in other words, if you want to call it in its mathematical formula for evil, is will to receive extreme. Because really what it is, is if we would see evil in the world, somebody wants X pleasure now, and they don't care what they have to do to get it. Break any law, kill any person, go over any obstacle. I want X pleasure now. That is, in terms of its formula, is evil. But it bleeds out or into the concept of the selfishness, will to receive. I want. I want to receive this. It's built into the fabric of creation. We cannot get out of it. Our job is to convert it. That's why we. it says, You will love Hashem your God. With all of your hearts. Now, it's hearts is plural. Should be libcha, your heart. Love God with all your heart. Why all your hearts? 
So it says you have to serve God with your good inclination and your evil inclination. We have ingrained in us an evil inclination. By the way, Sutton, evil inclination, angel of death, all the same thing. All of them are the same. Thank you for listening to The Devil is in the Details with Rabbi Cohen, Part 1. Stay tuned for the upcoming release of Part 2. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.